S in Hell, a look back at Saturday Night Live with your hosts, Matt and Keith. Brought to you by Lion's Den Audio Theater. Like and subscribe to Lion's Den Audio Theater for more Lion's Den goodness. And here are your hosts, Keith and Matt. Saturday Night Live, Season 2, Episode 11, starring Ralph Nader, originally aired on January 15th, 1977. Welcome to 1977, and welcome to SN Hell. Yeah, New Year, 1977, Star Wars, uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Rocky, a lot of pop culture stuff on the go. And for us tonight, it's not just a new year, but there's some new faces and uh, new people involved in the show and a couple of new beginnings that are going to be interesting to talk about. Joining me, as always, is my good buddy, Matt. Hello, Matt. Hi, Keith. How are things, pal? Things are great. Disco is peaking, too. It must be around Saturday Night Fever time, maybe a little early. Yeah, I think that came out in 77, if I remember right. Interesting time. To bring in the new year, we have another new third chair with us tonight. Good friend of mine for a long, long time. One hell of a wedding MC. If you ever need one, look her up. It's my good buddy and Matt's new buddy, Adrian. Hello, Adrian. Hey, guys. How's it going? Things are lovely. Very excited to uh, talk about today's show. But your thoughts and memories of Saturday Night Live. <laughs> From my young days. <laughs> From that your childhood. My earliest childhood. memories. <laughs> earliest memories. <laughs> oh, earliest memories is probably my dad being obsessed with the little chocolate donut sketch. <laughs> And I found a dinky truck of it for him and gave it to him one year for his birthday. It was one of the weirdest gifts ever. But for some reason, the man loved the little chocolate donuts. So that's that's my big one. <laughs> we haven't seen little chocolate donuts yet, but uh, it's not that far down the line. Can't wait for it to come up on the on the podcast. Uh, now i forget it's funny we're talking about how old tastes are i was on a message board the other day and it was one of them typical ones where you know some gen z or asks uh, or millennial perhaps who would you have loved to host but never did now i just didn't read any of the comments and i just put in you know uh my my suggestions and then i read the comments and everybody's saying you know heath ledger Corey monteith recent celebrity deaths um i don't think my suggestions of like norman fell or phyllis diller really <laughs> went over too too well with the youngsters <laughs> so uh, i i sometimes need somebody next to me to say okay you 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 are your age but uh but you like old people things <laughs> phyllis diller would have been great though I think so. Yeah. Yeah. But we have a lot of housekeeping to do tonight. So we'll jump right into uh, talking about the show tonight. So Ralph Nader, lawyer, professor, he uh, he wrote a book in 1965, I believe, exposing the lack of safety in the automobile industry. And it was called Unsafe at Any Speed. The book became such a big bestseller that it actually started to change government policy. And then he went after the Federal Trade Commission and again, had some great success in, in changing some policies and practices there as, as, as a lobbyist and whatnot. Um, and then he headed up a group, I believe, called the Public Citizen or the Public Citizens. And this was a lobby group concerning consumer rights. And he later went on to uh, start tackling environmental issues, which is what I kind of know him for uh, later in his career. At this point, though, Ralph Nader was the country's best-known consumer advocate. I only know uh, I know Ralph Nader from uh, as a political advocate, as you were just discussing, and you know, seeing him on interviews on CNN and shit like that. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say I'm I'm familiar. I know who he is. He's a tall drink of water. <laughs> mm. 
later, and we'll talk about this in the epilogue section, he does go on to run for U.S. president four times, 2000 being the big one. We've got two titans of the Saturday Night Live world joining the show for the first time tonight. First and foremost is one Bill Murray. So Bill Murray, uh, he joined Second City as a young man under the recommendation of his brother, Brian Doyle Murray. And we'll get to see Brian Doyle Murray a little bit later. Murray quickly became one of the top guys with Second City. He moved to New York and joined the National Lampoon Radio Hour, where he worked with a lot of the uh, SNL crew. He was one of the finalists for the original cast. He's even appearing in some late screen tests with uh, with the cast. But either for budgetary reasons or because uh, the brass slash Lorne were kind of concerned about an already rambunctious cast, they didn't want uh, another member in there. So Murray was passed on. He went on to join the cast of the other Saturday Night Live show with Howard Cosell. So then he was recruited for this cast as a replacement for Chevy Chase. At this point, he's 25 years old. He's the new guy. I mean, we certainly go on to know Bill Murray as, uh, as more than just a uh, fresh-faced new guy. Talk about Bill Murray, guys. Well, um, <laughs> it's it's Bill Murray. Um, that's a big that's a big uh, question or a big uh, big comment, isn't it? Talk about Bill Murray. <laughs> yeah, he's he's Bill Murray. It was really neat to see him just kind of come in and the way they introduced him, like halfway through the episode. I oh. I really liked how Jane Curtin did that. It's weird to hear him called Billy Murray. <laughs> But I don't, I don't know. He's he's a legend. He's 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 hard to describe as people. When I say Bill Murray, is there one particular role that jumps out? The Life Aquatic for me. I adore the Life Aquatic. There's so many. Uh, I default to Ghostbusters when I hear Bill Murray, probably just because of my age and uh, just how darn much I watched it as a kid. I guess the three things I think of most are Ghostbusters, Groundhog Day, and Lost in Translation. Uh, th- th- those are my Bill Murray big three. Not to slight what about Bob in any way. Baby steps. Baby steps. <laughs> Those are definitely about- a good big top three. Yeah. And what about Bob is criminally underrated. I prefer it to Groundhog Day, actually. It's fantastic. Richard Dreyfus is amazing. But that was pretty much their relationship backstage as well. <laughs> this is quite lovely. <laughs> I've been waiting for Bill Murray. I knew he was coming. The other big name is at this point in time is James or Jim Downey. The uncle of future cast member Robert Downey Jr. So Downey was a writer for the Harvard Lampoon. Now, Downey will go on to write for the show for over 30 seasons. He'll take some breaks in the middle. When you look up his highlights, the two things that keep coming up are the 2000 presidential election, um, where he coined the term strategery. And the other thing is his run as the producer and main writer for Norm MacDonald's Weekend Update. There's, as we go through, we're going to see there's a lot of other really good Jim Downey stuff. Uh, Dennis Miller says James Downey is the second most important person in the history of SNL with Lauren Michaels being number one. And uh, sentiments similar to that are, are pretty damn universal. And I don't know his work per se. Like, I shouldn't say that. I probably know his work extremely well without knowing it's his work. Be- because to say the name, I just think of Fabric Softener. <laughs> The third big point to cover before we jump into the show is that John Belushi was injured. So by this point in time, Belushi is uh, is, is running at a you know 100 miles an hour, partying very hard, and it's been a gradual climb since the beginning. So earlier that week during a college appearance, he jumped off a stage holding the uh, samurai sword in his hand, and he blew out his knee. 
this show being this show, a lot of people are doubting his injury, sort of seeing it as a copy of of Chevy's injury. But this one seems to be a bit more legit. And Belushi was off the show for this week, um, with some of his roles being taken by Murray and Tom Schiller. So this is really our first sort of Belushi-less show as well. It's, it's interesting to have a new guy in and one of the old guys sitting out. Belushi jumping off a stage with a sword is the complete douchebaggery I would expect from somebody like him. Totally <laughs> legitimate injury. Yeah. Was it well known of his drug problems at this time? Yeah, it was well known by pretty much everyone in the building, I think. I don't know to what extent it was known to the public, though. So we'll jump into our cold opening. So Dan Aykroyd and Gilda Radner wait for Ralph Nader at the elevators. Gilda is worried that Nader is late and has had no rehearsals and is not an actor. Nader exits the elevator and he's basically dressed like a rhinestone cowboy. He says it's his first time uh, in show business and he's going to cut loose. So they walk him into the makeup room where Garrett Franken and a few other people are waiting for him. Nader says he's going to have a fun time and be Mr. Good Time. But then he notes that the makeup they're using contains red dye number two. So Garrett takes him to his dressing room and Nader sees Garrett eating a hot dog, which Nader mentions could have rat excrement and rodent hairs. Lorraine then meets uh, Ralph Nader in wardrobe. She hugs him, which is supposed to inflate an airbag that he's wearing. It doesn't inflate, um, which pretty much kills a big part of this part of the uh, cold open. And then he goes on and gives the live from New York. It worked just fine for me. It just felt like a good way to introduce Ralph Nader. I didn't know there was something that went wrong with it. And it still worked. I hope you guys like jokes about Ralph Nader being a consumer advocate because they are going to beat the shit out of you on this episode with these jokes. I I thought he was wooden to the point of being a mannequin. His delivery was really bad. When I was watching this, I was like, I was like, oh, shit, I better buckle in. This is going to be a tough one. I'm with you overall, Matt, but at this point, I didn't mind it so much. I I agree with Adrian in that it was definitely a good way of introducing who he was. And and I thought his awkwardness was was beneficial to the segment. But uh, but you're absolutely right with where the show is going to go. I've said it before. I will say it again. I disagree with the idea that public figures like this make a good host. You know, it might be fun to see them in a like it's a novelty. The appearance is a novelty. It can't carry a show. I've been meaning to ask you about that, actually. How do you feel about someone like Ralph Nader? Are you okay with them coming in as doing a goofy cameo? Absolutely. They just should not be the host slash star of the show. So we go to uh, the monologue. So Nader comes out and he feels a loss of innocence doing the show as he is performing in the RCA building in the heart of corporate America. And he mentions that one of his interest groups has been investigating RCA And the screen suddenly goes and has some technical difficulties. Uh, The camera then goes back and Nader starts talking about a $10 million lawsuit against RCA. And the camera sort of goes off to the side and and fuzzes out a little bit. If that's the tack they're going to take, I actually thought this was okay. Again, Nader is devoid of the performer charisma and whatnot. But I'm glad he at least hung a lampshade on the fact that, yeah, he's probably investigating RCA and now he's being paid by them. That part I appreciated, but it wasn't overly funny for me. Yeah, fair. It didn't really do much for me either. He seemed a little uncomfortable, but it was nice that they did acknowledge the fact that he was being paid by the people he was suing. Um, <laughs> It 
had a weird almost Muppet Show vibe when they did like the technical difficulties and the mm-hmm. panning away. Maybe that's because I'm more familiar with the Muppets than I am with SNL in a lot of ways. Stupid little things like that I enjoyed. I had sensible chuckles at the technical difficulties, but watching Grandpa Nader go out there and have to put on his glasses to read his cue cards while the lights shine in them. Amateur hour, painful stuff. Hated this monologue. <laughs> We then go to a long-distance sketch, and this is the debut of Bill Murray. He plays an older man talking about how the phone company, uh, talking about the phone companies made long-distance calls cheaper after 11 p.m., and he's been waiting to hear from his grandson, with whom he plays a game of chess. The old man goes on to talk about how he gave the kid a watch that he's probably pawned. Grandfather gets is getting more impatient as the uh, sketch goes on to hear from his grandkid. And he thinks the kid is an idiot who has no friends, and the only kids that do hang around with him do so because he has a great new watch. The kid finally calls the old man, and he's a, he's much happier about it. Really strong debut for Bill Murray. He's working all by himself in a solo piece. I have nothing to back this up, but this absolutely feels like it was something that was written for Belushi that I probably wouldn't have enjoyed as much if Belushi did it. As far as debut sketches go, I don't think Murray could have asked for anything better. I agree. I thought he was fantastic. Hilarious in his delivery, uh, especially when he wants his grandson to die. He looked really good in the in the makeup and the hair, too. I, I almost uh, it took me a second to be like, holy shit, that's Bill Murray, because, of course, he wasn't mentioned uh, in the opening credits and such. Uh, but once I saw him, I was very excited to see him. Like I said, I've been waiting for him to come along. Great sketch for him to debut. He was really funny in it, and I really liked the jokes. I liked how dark it got, because he's talking about a little kid. And it was it was an interesting way for someone to debut on the show. With I didn't realize it was Bill Murray until close to the end of the sketch because of all the makeup. But uh, it was good. I liked it. So we have a Chiron, and this person's candy pants are melting. Um, they seem to get a kick out of it. So then we go to a TV execution sketch. So this is a dress rehearsal of a televised execution. This is sort of all in relation to what's going on with Gary Gilmore at this point. Dan Aykroyd plays a super stiff warden who welcomes us to the execution. Tom Schiller plays the convict, and that was a role that was supposed to be Belushi's, but uh, Schiller stepped in, which kind of makes me think that, and based on the sort of vibe of the sketch, this may have been a Tom Schiller sketch. Easter egg in there that the chair is a mainway fry king. Bill Murray comes in as a rather flamboyant director. He's got a makeup artist with him. Lorraine Newman plays Madeline, his first AD. Um, and there's a few little cameos in here. Firstly, uh, the co-star of Matt's favorite moment of season one, Willie Day, the prop master, who was brought out by Desi Arnaz. George Benson comes in as a priest. Mitchell Lawrence, who goes on to be a, quite an actor and whose twin brother Matthew becomes a featured player in 1980. And Neil Levy was there as well. Everyone was uh, pretty good in this sketch. It did get clunky at times, but uh, but I actually didn't mind this too, too much. I thought it was great. I uh, really liked everybody in it. Bill Murray was fantastic, as uh, as you said, the flamboyant director. I thought Dan Aykroyd had a great dead straight voice for the warden. Lorraine blends into pretty much everything. She's doing really well. And I thought the cameo was really fun. George Benson was really fun. To see, I like when they use the musical guest in, in these brief little cameos. It's a fun yeah. spot. I just really liked the sketch. I, th- I thought it was pretty fun. I could see why it, you do think it's a little clunky. It was definitely a little clunky. But yeah, I don't know. I think the performances really carried it. It worked for me. And I mean, the subject matter is a little dark, which I always appreciate as well. Yeah, I loved it, actually. Um, and yeah, it did get clunky at times. But that seemed to work for the fact that it was 
a death row rehearsal or dress rehearsal. Bill Murray was a delight mm. and I just I thoroughly enjoyed this sketch. There was a there was a Peter Venkman vibe to this director. Like, yeah, it felt very Bill Murray. We have a Chiron now. The woman is mentally recycling Ralph Nader. Next sketch is Baba Wawa talks to herself. This is really more of the same Barbara Walter stuff. Again, it's repetitive. We see it over and over again. They definitely pick some great words for her to use. Gilda's on point with the speech impediment, but this is a little too much. This is actually far too much of, of Barbara Walters this year. Adrian, you might have a completely different view on this one. No, I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, she nails the mispronunciation, but it's annoying and far longer than it had to be. And I just, I didn't like anything about it. So there you go. Sherry O'Terry puts Gilda Radner's Barbara Walters to absolute shame. I think Adrian just won Matt's favorite third chair. It drove me nuts. It just, it was, uh, oh, I wanted to skip through it. <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> so now we go to our musical bio and it's George Benson. And uh, he had just recently released his album Brazen, which hit number one on the pop charts and the jazz charts. He's a jazz guitarist. He had recently just gotten a ton of Grammy Awards. I think it was five or six. The song he plays is called This Masquerade. It was written by Leon Russell and it hit number 10. Here's what I'm going to say about this now. It's some really good guitar work. It's not for me. I'm not into 70s jazz. I mean, I love jazz, but I'm, I'm just not into this period. Benson was all in. His band was was fine. But uh, this song just didn't do it for me. We get two hot jazz performances two weeks in a row. For me, Frank Zappa in a very jazzy period last week. And I thought this was awesome. Not super familiar with George Benson. What a guitar player, great singer. And I guess, unlike you, uh, I think <laughs> 70s jazz is uh Fantastic. I love it. So I loved this. I thought it was a great performance. Couple, you know, the past couple of weeks, they're really stepping up the music game. I really appreciate it. I really dug it. He's a great guitarist. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Our next sketch is Nader and Carter. So Gilda plays uh, Ralph Nader's secretary and Ralph Nader's playing himself in this, of course. And uh, he takes a nap at his desk and he dreams about meeting Jimmy Carter. Carter is in a peanut warehouse, and Carter says he wants Nader's advice when he becomes president. Nader gives uh, a whole bunch of suggestions, which are all very Naderish. Carter shows Nader his plans for his inauguration. Carter leading the South in a new rebel uprising, basically a rebirth of the Confederacy. Carter offers Nader a job, but Nader uh, wakes up before he can respond, and his whole desk is covered in peanuts. The only thing I really laughed at in this one was that Ralph Nader put a seatbelt on before he went to sleep in his chair. And, uh, I mean, I enjoy Carter as played by Aykroyd, and it was a clever idea, but I didn't get too many belly laughs out of this one. No, it just kind of felt forced. I did also like the seatbelt. The Peanuts was, was like a one-note Carter gag. Didn't do much for me, honestly. I think this is a pretty good example of Ralph Nader not being a good fit to host the show. I mean, he's just there. It's up to Aykroyd to carry it with his Jimmy Carter, and uh, and he just doesn't. Uh, his Carter is, I, I've noticed it's a bit hit and miss sometimes, and uh, it was what a hit last week, and what a miss this week. I just, I just didn't feel it, didn't feel the passion. There's no jokes there. Well, there's a couple of jokes, but they're fucking stupid. And Ralph Nader continues to be terrible. We now have a Chiron and it shows a gentleman in the audience who is a tennis court jester. 
So we go to Weekend Update, and the first thing I was annoyed by was the phone is back, which I I thought should have went with Chevy, but there's a reason for it. It's Belushi calling in to say he's in the hospital after hurting his knee and hasn't been on the he won't be on the show. Nobody has come to visit, and uh, the show didn't spread the word that he was injured. Jane says they didn't want to tell anyone until after we until after the halfway point, so people weren't upset. But Belushi says he'll be back the next week with or without his leg. And then he has some questions about Bill Murray. Uh, John wonders if he's any good and if he can do a samurai. Jane says he does the best samurai she's ever saw. And he doesn't mind being a bee. I thought this was good. I thought it was really good. I, I later found out that a lot of what Belushi was saying about people not visiting him and the show not spreading the word about him being injured, he was legitimately pissed off about. Kind of like you, I was a little, I was like, ah, no, not the phone gimmick again. But uh, I was fine when it was Belushi. I I thought he was pretty good as the uh, sulky absentee. And I'm disappointed to hear that he kind of got, I don't want to say shafted, but that he didn't get the respect to do that I'm sure was outpouring for Chevy. I thought it was a neat way to introduce Bill Murray and let you know who he was kind of thing as well. Jane Curtin, I love, so she handled it beautifully. (laughs) I'll run through the rest of uh, Weekend Update and we can chat afterwards. For me, there was a sight gag. Gerald Ford is strangling Lady Bird Johnson. Bill Murray talks about how sexy he finds Rosalind Carter, and he goes on about her stockings and her legs. That part was fun, but the next part he says he'll talk about Amy Carter, and that was like their young daughter. That was a little creepy. Didn't like it. Another sight gag, the Ford family, now that he uh, Gerald's out of office, uh, are all in uniforms to become a trapeze act. Lorraine is in Washington to report on a Senate committee session about solar energy. Ralph Nader comes out as the chairman of the Texan Oil Company, and he says they're willing to go along with so- solar energy. If they get to own the sun, get a solar depletion tax allowance, and Texan must be allowed to raise prices if there's an eclipse. Nader tries this character. It doesn't work. um, And it gets a really polite, awkward audience clap. Gary Gilmore is inviting everyone to the prison for a people's execution. And this is a play on Carter's people's inauguration. And Emily Latella comes out to do another new commentary. Uh, she's hired now as part of the regular news team, which made me kind of groan. She does a thing about why President Ford wants to make Puerto Rico a stake. Uh, anyway, Jane uh, gives her the business after she finishes, and we get the bitch joke again. Overall weekend update was average, maybe slightly above average to me. The Lorraine Nader thing was was terrible, and I put that completely on Nader couple of genuine laughs in there, but it's mainly the sight gags for me that are doing it these days and Jane herself. I got to agree with you, I think, on everything there. I did have a couple chuckles at the Nader bit, but only because it made me think of Nova Scotia Power and wanting to charge extra if there was an eclipse, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, solar power, Nova Scotia Power. Didn't like the Emily thing didn't realize she was a recurring thing but she bugged me (laughs) and jane's great i liked bill murray it got awkward emily latella is a recurring thing she comes out and she does the same stupid shtick every time she's out there and just in the past two she's been calling jane a bitch at the end because jane has been like hey this isn't good as if she's speaking for all of us thank you jane this isn't good Stop James it. James a hero. And the madness. Same old tired shit. I, I didn't like this weekend update very much. I thought it was probably the worst since Jane took over. Uh, I still really appreciate her delivery, but I thought the jokes were 
pretty sparse. I did really like Ford choking <laughs> Lady Bird. That, uh, <laughs> that got a huge laugh out of me, actually. Uh, and then, you know, Jane Jane's delivery of that uh, is really what makes it. And it was uh, just a good sight gag. Bill Murray, I thought was pretty good. I liked him coming in as a correspondent. Our next bit is Andy Kaufman doing his fifth appearance. And it's, it's his iconic Elvis bit. This bit is probably second only to his Mighty Mouse for fame. So basically, he comes out as this foreign man character. He tells a bad joke, and then he does bad impressions of Jimmy Carter, and uh, he does an impression of his Aunt Esther. And then he does Elvis, and it is a perfect bang-on Elvis impression. To me, and I hate saying this because I love Andy Kaufman, and I've seen this routine before, but this one was way, way, way too long for my tastes. Uh, It seemed to go on forever. It didn't work the way a lot of Andy's other stuff does, and also how this one has worked in other appearances. That being said, great to see Andy. Fantastic impression. I'm the bad guy here because I hate Andy Kaufman. And he came out and I audibly went, because I just, (laughs) I've never liked him. I don't think I'll ever grow to like him. And I powered through it. I'll just leave that at that. I got to agree with you, Keith, that this was just entirely too long. Like, I I liked the idea of him doing such a spot on Elvis and then going back into his Lodka voice. But it just took forever, which and which really killed the joke. I'm neither a huge fan nor a huge detractor of Andy Kaufman. When he comes out and he's funny, I laugh. While I I did laugh when he switched back to Lodka at the end of the sketch, I was I was also bored by then. Our next sketch is the blow-up doll sketch, and I think uh, I'd almost be willing to bet uh, uh, a car or something on the fact that uh, Michael O'Donoghue wrote this. Garrett plays a reporter from Changing Times magazine who's visiting Ralph Nader, who is testing a pair of blow-up dolls for things like flame retardants and pigment toxicity. He's uh, testing the dolls because people have ignored them out of feelings of impropriety or apathy, but they should, as they are products on the market, he feels he should he should be testing them, or someone should be. Issue is, though, that Nader has personified these dolls, and it makes Garrett feel more and more awkward. Nader keeps threatening one of the dolls, named Rita, with these tests that he's going to do on her um, that other dolls, uh, previous dolls, uh, have failed, such as the lawnmower test. This sketch was not good. The performances were off. Nader was clunky. Garrett seemed a little not buying in all the way. The audience didn't seem to like it very much. This is not a good sketch. The odd part is, though, it was an awesome idea that just seemed to develop the wrong way and then got extremely terribly executed. Like the thought of like Ralph Nader, you know, testing sex sex toys or something like that. There could have been some real meat there. And I was more disappointed by that than anything else. In a weird way, this sketch kind of worked for me. I think because it was Nader and the party dolls that was so weird and the fact that the audience wasn't getting into it made it more awkward, (laughs) which then started to make it funnier for me. And then that Mm. just kind of kept spiraling. And in the end, I thought it was really funny, but because it wasn't working. For some reason, that really worked for me because it didn't work. Yeah, we've had moments like that with certain sketches. It just tickled me in a way that I didn't expect it to when it started. I I didn't have a very good time 
I, I thought this was just Ralph Nader is tanking this episode for me. You know, the blow up dolls. I, I just thought this was a bit hacky. The the jokes weren't landing for me. It, it was just really bad. All right. So we now go to a Chiron and there's a man who uses Hirohito's toothbrush. Now we're going to a huge debut for me. And it's the Coneheads at Home, a uh, creation of Dan Aykroyd and Tom Davis. A few other people had some input into what this eventually becomes, but uh, but those are the big two. Aykroyd was watching TV one day, and he mentions how he noticed that people's heads don't go to the top of the screen. So he decided to write a sketch about pinhead lawyers from France. That eventually got tweaked to be aliens, because uh, Aykroyd and Davis often used alien voices around the office. So that's where they wound up, and, and I'm glad they did. So this sketch features Aykroyd as Beldar, Jane as Primat, Lorraine as their daughter Connie, and they're at home. We all know the Coneheads. The basic story here is that Connie's going out on a date with her friend, or with her new boyfriend Ronnie, played by Bill Murray. The true story of this sketch is listening to the audience's reaction to seeing these Coneheads for the first time. The the, the beauty of this sketch is really just how much of this Conehead stuff was already formed and ready to go before it hit the screen. Like, like the language, like parental units, and uh, the, the phrase that really got me was, uh, guide your vehicle carefully, the snow has negatively affected road factors. I was just completely blown away by how much Conehead stuff was in place. There was So as a, as a fan of the Coneheads, as a fan of these performers, I was just uh, really, really pleased, uh, laughed through this whole thing, and super impressed with it. Yeah, it was fabulous. Like, it was great to see them. They played a big part in the way that my parents talked to us. They referred to themselves <laughs> as parental units uh, with with me and my siblings. It was just, again, I love Jane, so it's great to see her being Lady Conehead. And I love how Jane is gorgeous. And I mean, that's not a main thing about her, but she is. And she has no problem with looking ridiculous as a Conehead and just mm-hmm. playing it completely all in the ring toss at the end great loved it i don't know if you've heard any of our season one episodes but i think jane Curtin is absolutely beautiful indeed big fan this uh sketch is a home run i was really uh, you know i was watching for dan expecting him to be funny uh, but I, I really laughed at jane a lot in this sketch she was just so out of her element uh, playing this bizarre character lorraine great as the daughter everybody was so good i can only gush so more uh, over what you guys have already said uh, i will mention frank zappa has a song called coneheads as well which is about the titular family i love jane downing the six-pack uh <laughs> yes. just like no problem it's kind of a perfect sketch in many ways. And we'll, we'll, of course, go on to see the Coneheads many more times over the years. So we now go to the Gary Weiss film. And this is the uh, Gary Weiss garbage film that aired in uh, season one. And now uh, Matt and I have both spoken about it, kind of found it amusing and uh, enjoyed some of the darkness to it. If I recall, Matt, of course, loved the visuals. But uh, we've spoken about this one. So, Adrian, this one is you. What did you think of this garbage movie? I really actually liked the garbage movie. I liked the uh, the guy who was excited to find books in the garbage. I liked the darkness of people finding body parts or like bodies floating up. That's twisted and probably true. And 
I really liked it and thought that the imagery was really great. One of my favorite parts of the episode, actually. Yeah, you're really on uh, you're really on point with the rest of us because that's sort of what, where we were sitting. Any change to the opinion, Matt? No, I just don't like reruns. Yeah. Our next bit is uh, George Benson coming at back with uh, Gonna Love You More. This single is, well, it's not, it's going to be released in February 77 on the album Flight, In Flight. Um, I, I can't see that it was ever released as a single. Uh, again, nice tune. He does what he does well. I don't know why they would do a, a piece with a world-renowned jazz guitarist where he's not playing his guitar. Yeah, this was okay, but no change from the first one for me. Bit of a step down for me. I thought the first one was hot, and I thought this one was, uh, this, this was totally a B-side. You're darn right it wasn't a single. Yeah, I agree there. It was it was sad to not have him playing the guitar because um, he's so good at it. Uh, he's still a great singer, but just wasn't there for me. Our next sketch is called Youth Asks the Questions, and it's Jane as the host with Ralph Nader there as, as her guest. And the uh, idea is this is a form for some young people to to ask questions of newsmakers. And our young people are Lorraine Newman as her character Sherry, Bill Murray as Gerald Aldini. And it's the debut of Gilda Radner's Rhonda Weiss. The kids just really ask Ralph Nader all these weird questions that have nothing to do with with Nader. Sherry asks sort of random, weird, hippie, new age questions. Bill asks about stereos. And Rhonda Weiss keeps asking about uh, Ricardo Montalban. The sketch had its moments, but it wasn't great. Very odd ending where the tech went weird or something like that. Um, Sherry asks what animal Ralph Nader would like to be, and he says a porpoise in a weird way. Then there's this weird break, and the show ends. This really didn't work for me, though I did get a couple of little laughs. I thought it was pretty dumb. Again, they don't they don't know what to do with Ralph Nader. What should we do this time? Oh, let's have some silly kid characters ask him questions, and, and they'll just be silly. Like, come on, you guys are making a lot of money doing this. Come up with better. Yeah, I got bored during this one. It just kind of kept going, and it felt like no one was being used properly make ralph nader one of the stupid kids yeah kind of uh kind of that easy isn't it i think so yeah and our last bit is a commercial it's it's again a rerun for the ambassador career institute it's a rerun from season one i don't know this was fine it was obviously an early sketch it, it was funny the first time we, we we enjoyed it it just it didn't work here i think it was probably just time filler because something else ran short i don't think it's any surprise to the thousands I, I do smoke a lot of weed so i didn't really remember this and i laughed my ass off for the whole thing i really probably more than i laughed this entire episode i really enjoyed it more nice. probably than i did the first time <laughs> yeah i enjoyed it it was it was fine it was it was it was funny it was stupid clearly time filler but i liked it so ridiculous just send away to become an ambassador (laughs) (laughs) it's just so stupid i love it if i recall matt you were the big champion for this sketch the first time around too oh good i'm consistent (laughs) i appreciate it so we now go to the good nights Uh, nader says it's been a fun evening but not an easy one um, they send their best to Belushi, and then they throw peanuts around the studio, which is actually one thing they wouldn't do today. Interestingly enough, I did notice George Benson is joining them for the good night, so that's becoming more common with the musical guest at the end. It's pretty funny that you mentioned that they wouldn't throw peanuts. I never even thought of that, about somebody having a horrible nut allergy and Ralph Nader throwing peanuts at them. <laughs> that's pretty funny <laughs> to think about, though. <laughs> Nobody had them back then, they said. I remember people used to say that nobody had peanut allergies back when we were kids. I said, yes, they did. They were just always sick. (laughs) (laughs) Because people were throwing peanuts around. That's right. 
let's see, uh, rating the host. To me, Ralph Nader was wooden and flat through the whole thing. A lot of this was self-referential humor. These jokes may have been more universal when he was more of a household name. The sketches, for the most part, for me, were not great, but a few exceptions were in there. The uh, non-inflating bag, the odd endings, the weird tech stuff didn't seem to help Nader either. All things considered, though, he, he did what he did. You, you, you don't get Ralph Nader in there to be a universal performer. You get him in there to, uh, to do exactly what he did. It's another Ron Nesson situation, um, but I actually found him probably less funny than Ron Nesson and uh, certainly less capable of playing characters. So what did you guys think of Nader? As much as I didn't enjoy most things he was in in it, I didn't hate him. He was Nader. He was just being himself and he's not a performer. So I didn't expect him to be great. I didn't expect him to be good. Maybe I went into it expecting too little from him and knowing who he was, that it didn't bother me too much that he was wooden because I assumed he was going to be. This this episode has been a perfect example of why people like him shouldn't host the show. They can't carry the show. They can't play characters. They restrict the jokes, they, they they inhibit the comedy. His performance is awful. His delivery is terrible. It's just these kind of public figures shouldn't be on an entertainment program and expected to deliver. Don't get me wrong. Maybe they're not expected to deliver, and it's just to get eyes for ratings and shit like that. Maybe it's a corporate game. I don't know. I don't play corporate games. This was, this was just shitty, though. He was shitty. You'll be pleased to hear that uh, Nader does not return to host again. But he will continue to make cameos. He makes three cameos, one in 80, one in 90, and one in 2000. And uh, in his life, he continued to be an active voice in consumer protection and environmental issues. He made four runs for U.S. president, the most memorable being in 2000, where people gave him shit for doing so well in Florida that uh, he may have been the reason, uh, quote unquote, that Al Gore lost Florida during all that wonderful dangling Chad shit that went on in 2000. The music, George Benson, he was a hot act at the time and, and definitely slightly different from the regular fare. He wasn't good enough to pick this episode up. I don't know if I would have noticed that as much in a better episode. It shouldn't all be fun and games and energy, but from the standpoint of what uh, what we saw from Nader, it would have been a it could have been a real highlight. A lot of the appearances of these musical guests are so separate from the show that they're 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 not unique. Uh, this one was one it would have been exactly the same had he been on, you know, Johnny Carson or any other show where he just goes out, does his stuff, and leaves. And I think the reason I that was highlighted was because of his role in the execution sketch, which kind of made me think, hmm, maybe these people should do more, maybe to be integrated into the show. Or maybe thinking back to the Zappa performances, which did incorporate both Don Pardo and John Belushi, um, maybe these should be special. Or, or even like the boss, the Boz Skaggs episode where a lot of the Saturday Night Live band played with them. I, I don't know, but it, it doesn't seem to be an issue when I think of the later seasons. But here, where the show is so bare bones and so stripped down, it's starting to get me. I think that uh, that there's not more. Uh, cooperation or integration between the uh, the musical guest and the, the the cast now that completely contradicts something that matt and i both said and agreed on last year and uh, maybe i'm just on a, on a different track now that i'm getting more familiar with the show in this period i think that was extremely well pushed keith uh, we're coming off in my opinion 
Uh, and, I, you know, it would be easy for somebody to say, well, you're just saying that because you like him. But I think Frank Zappa's performances last week were a uh, were a benchmark of interesting things you can do on Saturday Night Live. Um, I mean, this was some really inventive shit. And we came back with this guy who goes one for two. I mean, that first mm-hmm. song was uh, it was happening. But that second song could have been anything on the radio in 1977. And I wouldn't have gave a shit. I don't give a shit in 2022. I don't know. You shouldn't go out there with such a B-side. And I do like I, I and again, I'm on record. I like when the, the musical guest pops up in the cameos. I might have said otherwise in season one. I'm allowed to grow as a person with the mm-hmm. show. But yeah, this was eh, I'll forget it in a week yeah i I agree with both of you on on those counts again i like the first song a lot more thought he he was great second song could be anyone in in later seasons i prefer to see them used more in the sketches as well maybe like a justin timberlake situation maybe that's not george benson's strong point they just had ralph nader host a broadcast i don't give a shit about (laughs) strong maybe george benson should have been the host and ralph nader should have been the musical guest maybe that would have really (laughs) brought the episode up who knows i will say that uh george benson's appearance in the uh appearance in the 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 execution sketch went three for three with us and i don't think nader hit three for three at any point so what was the worst sketch of the night for you folks baba wawa that's two Woo-hoo. You know, I went with the blow up dolls. It's probably on me because the premise was so interesting to me, but uh, everything else was wrong and uh, it, it could have been so much more. The best for you folks. Probably the death row rehearsal. Coneheads for me. Uh, I thought it was a hit. It was. It's a hit out of the gate. I, I really thought it was hilarious. I laughed a lot. Uh, the, the only thing I laughed at, I did laugh at something more. But I, it was the ambassador thing. But I know it's a rerun, and I know it's it's just uh, I don't know what it is. It just speaks to me. But uh, my favorite sketch of the night goes to the Coneheads. Yeah, I agree. I, I went with the Coneheads as well. Um, there was other stuff. Death Row rehearsal got some laughs from me and Bill Murray's old man at the phone. I had to go with Coneheads. It just was too too good. And your star of the night. I was really torn between obviously Bill Murray. And Jane Curtin, because she she held it together in every scene she was in, even when they were painful. I'm going to go Jane. I, I go with Bill Murray uh, in his first episode. I thought the old man bit was hilarious. I thought he was fantastic as the director. That was my Bill Murray highlight of the night. Good on update. A lot of fun as the Conehead date. Just good in everything he was in. Obviously a natural. Obviously already seasoned professional he knows what he's doing he's so young i can't believe he's only 25 big big hit for me tonight glad to see him star of the night for me yeah and obviously that's the first time anyone picked murray you know it was it was tough for me i was torn between the three uh Aykroyd, murray and jane i went with Aykroyd again for me there was just too much good in there despite its flaws i thought his working as carter a slightly different carter was good Beldar Conehead was good. Even the warden in the uh, death row execution TV thing was was fantastic. I got to say, though, it might be the best debut we're ever going to see of anyone from Bill Murray. He he did some pretty stellar stuff. Uh, just at times, the material might have been a little weaker than, than necessary. So overall, this is their first show after Christmas, and Chevy Chase is firmly in the rear view. 
this new guy is in and he really did well. And uh, Belushi only had about two minutes on the show and it was voice only. And I really did miss him. Bill Murray, Jim Downey and the Coneheads will be will go on to be monumental additions to the show. But uh, it's kind of here now. For me, this was a relatively weak episode, not without its fun, but it, it's one of the one of the ones where the good stuff was rare and good. And the bad stuff was really bad, and there was seemed to be a, quite a bit of it. Benson was a, a non-issue, and Nader, for me, ranged from sort of a curiosity to just plain old bad. I actually wound up gave, giving this one a 5 out of 10. Yeah, that's the same rating I would give it. What I liked, I really liked, and what I didn't like made me angry. Um, so <laughs> 50-50 for how I felt about a lot of things. and. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, five five felt fair. So many hits and misses. I mean, you you get some hits like the Coneheads and the the Death Row dress rehearsal, but I mean, with an abysmal host and a mediocre musical guest, you're only gonna get so far. I really didn't like the couple of reruns, even though one of them made me laugh my ass off. But it wasn't. Weekend Update was a little lower for me than usual, a little lesser, I should say. Emily Latella, come on, stop beating this horse. Not enough to take it over the halfway mark for me. I go 4.5 out of 10. So with Matt's 4.5 and Adrian and I both giving it a 5, we wind up with an average of 4.8. Now, the Internet Movie Database liked this a hell of a lot more than we did, and they gave it a 7.3, which makes it the 12th best of the year, almost right in the middle there, and the 212th best uh, up to up to the November of 2021 when I last checked. So, I mean, that sort of sounds fair to me considering it's middle of the road for this season. And even though our numbers are different, Matt, that's sort of where we rank at middle of the road. Yeah. I mean, the highs and lows, it's really, I find this, I mean, it's the nature of the beast. There's going to be a lot of Saturday night lives that have like dizzying highs and terrible lows. There's, there's a lot of levels in S and hell. So Adrian, as they've broken new ground, we've broken new ground as well, and uh, it was delightful to have you on. Uh, I always love your sense of humor and uh, also your, your commentary on comedy. Uh, it's always welcomed in our, in our, in our personal conversations and uh, certainly love hearing you uh, contribute to this. Thank you so much for having me. I'll happily, I'll happily come back if you'll have me back. And I'm honored to be on the episode where Bill Murray makes his debut, so... Thank and the so Coneheads. <laughs> and the Coneheads. It's amazing. Thank you. Adrian, this was an absolute pleasure. Likewise. Thanks so much. Thank for me, you. too. Thanks, Adrian. And after a string of new uh, guests for us, um, we'll be back next week. Do you know who the host and musical guests are, Matt? No, I don't know. So uh, I hope you like old people because it's Ruth Gordon and Chuck Berry. I, I don't. <laughs> So we'll be back in about a week with Ruth Gordon and Chuck Berry. But until then, we won't be inflating airbags here in Essen Hell. <laughs>